Hey everybody, before we get started, you might know that March is my last month as Edmonton's Historian Laureate. I'm going to keep making Let's Find Out, but before my term ends, I wanted to have one last hurrah with all of you. So we're having another live panel on March 10th. It's at the Mercury Room, and it's all about the history of green onion cakes. Tickets are 20 bucks, and that includes two green onion cakes. I hope to see you there. Let's Find Out Live, all about green onion cakes, March 10th. The link for tickets is on our website. Let's find out podcast.com. That is awesome. I did not know any of that. It's called paleoecology. Google it and uh, you'll learn. There's a number of researchers who, who do this. Okay. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and you're listening to Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amaskuchi Waskaigan on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. Let's find out as a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode, and I would have gotten away with all those wildfires too, Rasha Shibli and Naha Taha help us investigate whether climate change is affecting wildfires in Alberta. You see, We've been working with a group of students from Hazeldean Elementary and Queen Elizabeth High School. They gave us some questions about climate change in our area, and we brought those students to the community radio station that I work at, CGSR, for a radio camp to teach them how to use radio and podcasting to find out the answers. This is the first of two episodes we've adapted from that camp for the podcast. You can listen to the full hour of live radio we made together right now on our website, letsfindoutpodcast.com, including a third story you can only find on our website. So. Radio Camp. We started out at Queen Elizabeth High School on the north side of Edmonton. Let's find out assistant producer Omar Salafu and I were there, along with a bunch of us who work at CGSR, including one of our interns, Megan Miller. How does it feel to be back in a high school? I have like PTSD from like high school. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of unpleasant, but hey, I went to school down the street, so... We started out by going over the basics with the students, listening to some radio together and playing with field recorders. Okay, next, uh, number five. Naha, do you mind reading out number five on the checklist? Do you have an, you have an SD card? Sounds like you already found the answer to that one, do you? Yep. How did you figure that out? There's a little thing on the bottom that I just kind of opened. Great, yeah. right? I figured that out too. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. Naha and Rasha were two of the six high school students from Queen Elizabeth that we worked with. Hi, my name is Rasha. Hi, my name is Naha. Once we'd played with all the equipment, we started brainstorming questions. Let's find out. Each episode we try to focus on a question about local history. We're trying to like show listeners that climate change is a form of learning about local history too, so that's why we're digging into climate change questions with you. Um, and we're trying to think of ones that have a local angle. And also, Omar, I think you can attest to this. The best questions are answerable ones. Yes. We need to be able to answer your question regardless of what it is. So if it's... They came up with a huge list of questions. And Megan and our other turn, Deanna, wrote them all up on whiteboards in the classroom. Science is like, oh, we're going to learn about the solar system. Yes! And buoyancy. Coming back, coming back, coming back. Okay, next question is... How will climate change affect animals' hibernation schedules? Um, how will climate change affect populations in different parts of Alberta? 
And after that, we called our list down to our top three. Naha is going to help me tell the story here. Naha, where did this particular question come from? At school, I'm part of a program called Innovate. And at one class, we brainstormed questions that we and our friends had about climate change. We got a pleasant surprise when we were given a whole bunch of questions from Hazeldean Elementary. So that was pretty fun. And what were the Hazeldean kids curious about? Well, one grade five student named Sawyer wanted to know. Hi, my name is Sawyer and my question is, how will climate change affect wildfires in Alberta? I was interested about this question because my grandparents lived up in Slave Lake when the wildfire hit and I was wondering if that had anything to do with climate change. And you and Russia bravely took on this question. Well, as the kids at Hazeldean would say, I thought this was a great question because, well, probably because it's so close to home for a lot of Albertans like Sawyer, who've been personally affected by wildfires. But also because this question helps us see that understanding climate change is a form of learning about our history. We want to know how the patterns are changing. We want to know what to expect down the road. And to do that, we need to have a strong understanding of what the normal patterns are for our region. And then we need to understand how we're changing that with all the carbon that we're pumping into the atmosphere. Listeners, uh, you can never tell Russia and Naha this, uh, so Naha, put your fingers in your ears for a second, but this was one of the hardest experiences that I've ever had chasing guests. We'll get to that in a minute. I know not everybody has access to a radio camp, and I love seeing people transition from podcast listeners to podcast creators. I especially love when those people start making high-quality stuff, too. So... Let's find out as a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, and our network is hosting a workshop on April 7th, teaching folks how to start a podcast. And the people leading this workshop are some of the best, most helpful, lovely people in the Alberta podcasting community. If this sounds like a fit for you, the How to Start a Podcast workshop is April 7th at the CKUA building in Edmonton. And if you use our referral code to buy your ticket, you'll be supporting Let's Find Out as well. So go to podnow.eventbrite.com slash find out or just click the link in the show notes for this episode again that link is podnow.eventbrite.ca slash find out let's find out is also supported by the edmonton community foundation the edmonton community foundation supports tons of organizations in our city doing important work and they're currently accepting applications for their community grant program if your charity does work in heritage education health recreation environmental issues consider applying And if it's your first time applying, you can get up to $40,000 of funding. Also, the people who work there are boss. You can find out more about the Edmonton Community Foundation's Community Grants Program at ecfoundation.org. Okay, back to the show. Finding someone who could answer this question about wildfires was way harder than I thought it would be. After we left their school, I had one week to find a researcher that Naha and Rasha could meet to answer their question and another two for the other two pairs of students coming, and the researchers had to be on campus at the University of Alberta within walking distance of CJSR. Oh yeah, and they had to be available on the exact afternoon that the students were coming. So my number one pick was Mike Flanagan, a researcher who studied exactly this intersection of climate change and wildfires. We'd had him on a CJSR program a couple years ago after the Fort McMurray fire, so I figured he was gettable, but I could not seem to get a hold of him. So I called in every favor I could on campus with a firefighter friend and a biologist and a sociologist trying to get connections. 
I walked up and down the stairs of this one building many times, looking for Mike, looking for the other researchers with labs there. A couple of days before the kids were set to arrive, I asked some of the new CGSR volunteer reporters, Ben and Hannah, to help me knock on doors one last time. Left. I thought it might help to have a few of us that could split up, and I thought it might be educational for them. But wouldn't you know it, we took the elevator up to the seventh floor of Mike Flanagan's building looking for somebody else entirely, and that person pointed down the hall and said, well, Mike's in his office right now, why don't you talk to him? And he was sitting at his computer, literally writing an email saying he was interested and available. And the next guest we wanted to land? Same story. I told Ben and Hannah not to get used to that. That, it never goes this easily. <laughs> <laughs> so funny how everyone was just so immediately positive and like walk in oh yes for sure I applied to the email yes <laughs> now you've biased our perspective of how this goes yeah, this... <laughs> we're gonna expect this all the time you will never have this kind of experience again. <laughs> hopefully we will but uh <laughs> sounds like no the day the students arrived for radio camp I told Naha and Rasha about Mike and they prepped some questions for him and we started packing up our equipment to walk over to his building. But before we left, Rasha did something I never have to think about. She started pulling out her earrings. Every time I put headphones on when I'm wearing my earrings, it jingles into the mic. Every time I put the headphones on, it just stabs them into my head more because my hijab is already stabbing my earrings into my head. So it's just twice the stabbiness. <laughs> Naha can tell you what happened next. To answer our question, we were introduced to Mike Flanagan, professor of wildland fire at the University of Alberta. To start, we asked if climate change was a factor of the increase in wildfires. He explained it all. So you need three ingredients for fires to occur. The first thing is fuels. That's the stuff that burns. How much you have, what type it is, how dry it is, is really important. Second ingredient is ignition. And in Canada, humans and lightning start fires. The third ingredient is the weather. Hot, dry, windy weather is critical to fire. So you get all three, you get a fire. So climate changes, the weather changes. And if it's a warmer world, we can expect more fire. All right, um, another question. In biology class, we're taught that forest fires are actually a good way to keep an ecosystem the way it is and that they're actually necessary. Is climate change throwing off the balance of things? That's a really good question. So for some ecosystems, like the boreal forest, fire is a necessary component. And the forest has learned to survive and even thrive in a regime of semi-regular stand-replacing fires. These are high-intensity fires, and they kill the trees. But there's strategies to deal with that. Some cones are serotonous, they have a waxy resin, and they need heat to open, and the fire provides that heat. Other species, like aspen, they sucker after a fire. So what happens if climate change throw this, throws this system off kilter by having too much fire? Because if fire is too frequent, the trees will not be able to regenerate. So, yes, and perhaps we're already down that path. At this point, you may be wondering what happens when fires become too frequent for trees to regenerate. Mike answered that too. I tell people, what's going to happen? Well, trees disappear, 
what's going to happen? We get shrubs and grass. And guess what? Shrubs and grass can burn even more frequently than forest fires. So we're still going to have fire in the landscape. As long as we have those three ingredients, we will have fire. And when you have communities in Alberta, we have lots of people who work and live in the boreal forest. So fire is a natural element of the boreal forest. People are there. You get this intersection between fire and people with disastrous results at times, like Slave Lake and like Fort McMurray in 2016. Whilst interviewing Mike, it occurred to me that there are flammable greenhouse gases. So I asked if it was a factor in the worsening of fires. This is what he told us. To answer your question directly, no, it's not a factor all, but there's a related question that is relevant, okay? That is, I've argued that the warmer we get, the more fire we get. The more fire we get, the more greenhouse gases we get. So it could lead to a positive feedback. So because during the combustion process, you get carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and a number of other greenhouse gases being emitted. And some of these amounts are significant for things what we call peat, which is just means about 40 centimeters or more of organic material. And when that burns during a severe drought, significant amounts of greenhouse gases are released to the atmosphere. Example, fires in Indonesia during a particularly bad year released the equivalent of 20 to 50% of global fossil fuel emissions. Now, in the boreal forest of Canada, Alaska, and Siberia, we have 30 times more peat than Indonesia. So it's legacy carbon. It's been building up over thousands of years, and if it burns, it can inject significant amounts of greenhouse gases into our atmosphere, which will make it warmer, which means a warmer world would mean even more fire, which means more greenhouse gases, and so on and so forth, until the stuff is burnt up. How does this affect Edmonton specifically? Is there anything that is making Edmonton worse than other places? With respect to fire and climate change, um, I, I think I'd probably address it more in terms of fire. I don't think downtown Edmonton's going to burn, okay? However, it's possible the River Valley could burn or areas in what we call the wildland urban interfaces, the edge of the communities where there's grasslands or even forests around, you could have a fire that could threaten. And sometimes people think grass fires aren't dangerous. Grass fires can be very dangerous, and people have died uh, fighting or fleeing a grass fire. So respect fire, you know, put your campfires out, observe fire bans when it's, you know, when there's one in place. So there are things we can do, but you know, if you're downtown Edmonton, there's not going to be a forest fire to affect you. Is there anything that you think is important to know just specifically in our area in regards to climate change affecting forest fires? So, you know, I, I guess what I would like to point out is that Alberta and other parts of Canada have a f fire management um, uh, they are responsible for fire management and they do a really good job but the landscape is changing in that the climate's changing we've talked about longer fire seasons and more lightning and fire is becoming more intense and difficult to put out also we're seeing more development in northern areas 
whether it's forestry or not other natural resources. So there's more people living and working and more value in northern Alberta. And so, you know, the likelihood of fires increases and the impact of those fires is increasing as well. So it, they have a very challenging, they, they've been very adaptive, but the challenges are going to be significant and the costs to Albertans is not trivial. We spend an average of $200 million a year on direct fire management costs, and these are probably going to increase given climate change. Our approach to this episode, all of these questions, has been going to researchers, looking through academic studies, looking through stuff that they've made. But I'm always curious to know what is their methodology? What are we basing our conclusions on? So I asked Mike, you know, how do we know what we know about how forest fire patterns have changed over time in Alberta? How are we able to measure, um, like, the, those differences over time in fire, forest fires becoming more frequent, more intense in Alberta? How are we able to measure that and get a picture of, of how things have changed over time? Okay, well, we have a record of area burned in Alberta to the 1930s. And in the olden days, they'd actually go out in horses, okay, and they would draw a map, okay? Then with the advent of helicopters and GPS, they GPS the polygons of larger fires. And more recently, we often use satellites now to map fires after they occur. So we have a really good idea of where they occurred, and then we keep track of the number of fires in the area burned by year, and then you can just plot them and analyze them. Sometimes one of the critiques I hear of, 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 of climate models is that we don't have data going back far enough. So how do we know that that record going back to the 1930s is representative of sort of a longer trend? And, and that's not, how do we know it's not just a blip? Okay, so the, the forest fire data in Canada, um, back to about, we started about 1980 when people started to record the number and locations of fires. Prior to that, we use uh, fire scars on trees. So certain trees, when they burn, it scars them, and you have tree rings, and you can count the number of tree rings to know what year that fire occurred. And some trees have like seven or nine fire scars on them, so you can tell historically at that point when a fire occurred. They also use charcoal, okay? So you can go to a lake, get a segment of mud under the bottom of the lake and you can tell how old it is through various techniques and then they measure how much charcoal there is and there's different types of charcoal. Some of it is microscopic which can means can be blown a long distance. Some of it's macro, okay, which means it's bigger and larger, which means it came within that water basin. So they can tell when fires occurred from the charcoal. That is awesome. I did not know any of that. It's called paleoecology. Google it and uh, you'll learn. There's a number of researchers who, who do this. Okay. Russia once told me that she wanted to know what kind of trees burn worst. So she asked which trees cause the most fire. Is there any specific type of tree that causes, like, forest fires? Well, everything in our boreal forest will burn. Okay, but what usually burns is the dead material. Okay, so on the forest floor, there's dead needles and leaves and moss and lichen. That's the stuff that burns easily. The crowns of the trees, conifers will burn because they have lower moisture contents. Deciduous trees will not burn in 
our boreal forest. In other places, they will. But our broadleaf trees have too much moisture in them, so they won't burn. Some of the twigs will burn, and, or if a tree is dead, more parts of it will burn. But most of the, what is consumed is dead organic material. I've heard before that to control the amount of dead material, there is controlled forest fires. Is there any way that climate change could affect this to the point where it would get out of control? So I'm... So the, the purpose of doing a prescribed burn, there's many purposes. Some of it's for habitat, okay, for wildlife. Um, some of it is fuel reduction, and that's what you're talking about here. And the idea is there, if there's less fuel, less likelihood of a fire, or if you do get a fire, it won't be as intense, so it's easier to put out. Um, climate change will produce, change how much productivity there is in the trees, which might affect... I don't, I don't see it being a large player. I, I see the climate change impact on vegetation through um, too much fire, as we talked about, where trees cannot regenerate, or if the climate changes so much that the climate's not really suitable for that tree anymore. But mature, mature trees won't disappear. They just will die eventually, uh, but they won't regenerate if the climate's not suitable. So those are the changes, but they're more longer term. That's where disturbances like fire are a catalyst for change because they kill the mature trees. And if the climate's not suitable for those trees to regenerate, then you get other species coming in, either more southern species or grass or shrubs. We learned a lot. But the main question, which was how does climate change affect forest fires, just happened to be summed up perfectly by one thing Mike said during the interview. Now, I get asked all the time, why does warmer temperatures lead to more fires? And there's three reasons. Fire people love threes, okay? Anyway, the first one is the warmer it is, the longer the fire seasons are. In Alberta, our official fire season now starts March 1st used to be April 1st. Our fire seasons are starting earlier. Second, the warmer it is, the more lightning we have. And everything else being equal, the more lightning, the more fires. And the third reason, which is probably the most convoluted, but probably the most important, as the temperature warms, the ability to suck moisture out of the fuel, the stuff that burns, increases almost exponentially. So warmer temperatures means drier fuels, unless we get an increase in precipitation. And most of the scenarios of the future don't have enough increase in precipitation. Bottom line, dry, we expect drier fuels, and that means it's easier for fires to start and spread. There's really only one thing we didn't get to in the interview. I was really curious, you know, when fire scars a tree, what does it look like? And uh, we did try to ask. That fire scar thing was also very cool to me. I was wondering, do you have any samples that we could look at that show that? No way, you do. Of course oh I do. Oh my god. Okay, what are we looking at, Russia? Okay, yeah, describe what you see here. <laughs> we call these cookies, okay? Because they're... No way. Yeah, that's a fire that? alarm. Is that a fire Should we leave? Alarm? Yeah, maybe. Should I... At that point, we were rushed outside, and it seemed like the right time to wrap things up. I think probably, since we only asked for 20 minutes of your time, um, we should probably just say thanks now. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. You're welcome. Very welcome. Thematically appropriate, though. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Mike Flanagan, and we hope we answered your question, Sawyer. It was a bit of an abrupt end to the interview, but a pretty appropriate one. And the building did not burn down, thankfully. So there is a relationship between climate change and wildfires, but it's in the patterns. Feel free to refer to this episode in any future debates. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. This podcast is produced by Omar Salafu and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Don't forget about our live Green Onion Cakes event on March 10th. Head to our website to grab tickets. We want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere podcasts are found, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let's Find Out Podcast. Okay. Thank you, Time. Thank you to Sawyer Peterson, Sawar Youssef, Andrew Hoy, Rasha Shibli, Naha Taha, Mariam Makabanding, and Layla Elbury. Thanks also to James Stewart, Aaron Dublinko, and Ian Potts for helping us make the connection with the Innovate program at Edmonton Public Schools. And thanks to Mike Flanagan for speaking with us. This episode would not have been possible without the work of Melanie Zaitsoff, Chad Brene, Deanna Chang Harado, and Megan Miller at CJSR. Thanks to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. To everyone who's been supporting it, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the tremendously lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Herji at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for today. The next episode from the Climate Change Radio Camp will be out on Friday. Until next time, keep your questions coming. <laughs> <laughs>